Good morning, everyone. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name's Tom, and uh, I lead the team of elders or pastors here. We use those words to mean the same thing. And uh, it's a real joy to be concluding our series in the Bible book of Exodus this morning. We've been kind of taking quite a fast-paced stroll through the book of Exodus over the last uh, two or three months. This amazing book, this epic book really, depicting uh, the way in which God freed his people from oppression and slavery in Egypt. How he drew them out, how he did that through incredible, uh, miraculous uh, goings on, and how he drew them to uh, himself to meet with them in the desert, to give them uh, his commandments that they might uh, know how they were to live as his people. And he's now taking them on a journey towards a land that he's promised them. It's an incredible story. If you haven't been here with us to date, please do go back on our YouTube channel and uh, watch back our, our messages from this series. We've learned much of how God, uh, who God is and what, what are his ways. Now, the people of God, by the point that we're picking up uh, today in today's uh, message, have a long journey ahead of them. They are going to have to travel through the wilderness to end up in the land of Canaan, where, the, where God has promised that he will give them a land. And it's not going to be an easy journey ahead for them. There's, they've already kind of come through quite a lot, um, but the, the, the journey ahead for them is not going to be easy. And Moses, their leader, seemed to understand this. And in Exodus 33, which is where I'd love you to turn if you have a Bible with you, he understood this, and so this was his plea to God. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Moses understood that it was vital that God's tangible, experienced, felt presence went with them on the way to the promised land. He, he knew this was the most important thing. He understood as the Bible clearly teaches, that God is everywhere. There is nowhere in all creation where God is absent. There's nowhere you can go to hide from God. But there are places and contexts in which we know God's tangible, his felt, his experienced presence. And Moses had known this to date already. He'd known it at the burning bush where God had first met with him. He'd known it at Mount Sinai where God had given to him the Ten Commandments. And there were such incredible scenes to make it very clear that God was with them. But Moses also knew, I need this as we go forward. He was convinced that that would be the thing that marked them out as distinct, that marked them out more than their language, more than their cultural practices, more than their history. What would mark them out as distinct 
from the nations of the world was God's felt, tangible, known, experienced presence. That was what was going to make them different to the nations around them. Now, those who were here two weeks ago, or maybe you caught up, will recall that God instructed Moses and the people of Israel to build a meeting place for uh, the people of God to meet with God. It was called the tabernacle. And uh, it was a very special tent which had various rituals that had to be observed in it. And you can go back and listen to that. But this was to be the place where God's special presence would dwell as they made their journey to the land of Canaan. And every, every time they camped for a long period of time, they would erect this tent. And there the priests would be able to practice their rituals and come into the presence of God. It was like a portable Mount Sinai. That's what they had with them. And there were very specific instructions Rituals of sacrifice that were instituted to make atonement, make payment for sin, and to make a way for the prayers of the people to be received by God. Now, when they eventually get to the promised land, you can read about that in the book of Joshua, and you can read more about that in the book of First and Second Samuel as well. They actually ended up building a temple. God instructed them to build a temple that was a more permanent version of the tabernacle, really where the sacrifices could be made and where God's people could know his presence. Now, the way in which, um, as we unpacked a couple of weeks ago, the way in which the tabernacle and latterly the temple uh, functioned and the way it was set up is instructive to us. It points us towards the work of Jesus and all that he accomplished for us in his death and resurrection, that he is the great high priest who has made the sacrifice once and for all time, that is himself. That's what we celebrated a few weeks ago. Now, so much of the final chapters of the book of Exodus are then concerned with the construction of this tabernacle. Okay, how they go about getting the different materials and then how God wants it to be set up. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of jump forward to Exodus chapter 40 now, and we're just going to read the last few verses of the book of Exodus going to read from 33. Here we go. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. The tabernacle had been built. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels." I want you just to imagine, just for a moment, that you are one of the people of Israel in this moment. You're part of a community that is traveling. You're a camping community. I don't know about you, but I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with camping. I get very cold at night. And so once I've kind of stuffed millions and millions of blankets inside my sleeping bag, I'm okay. But if I have to get up in the night to go to the toilet, that's a big, that's just not fun. Because you've got to clamber out of your sleeping bag in the dark, fumble around, try and find the zip. And then you've got to try and do that without waking anyone up. 
and then you've got to try and find the toilet without tripping up over loads of ropes on the way to the toilet. It's, 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 it's not a lot of fun, that bit. There's a lot of fun bits to camping. That's not particularly fun. But I want you to imagine, just for a moment, being one of the people of Israel and waking up after your night's sleep and unzipping your tent. I don't think they had zips back then, but un opening your tent, and then you just look, and there, not very far away from you, is this tabernacle, and there is a cloud just hovering over it, concentrated above it, and it's every single day. And if you do have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the toilet, you look up, and you see that that cloud has fire in it, and it's just hovering over the tabernacle. What a sight that would have been. Every single day as they made their journey to the promised land. What an incredible sight. Imagine the confidence you'd feel as you saw that sight. Just imagine what that would do to you. Is God with us? Oh yeah, there's this random cloud just there right above the tabernacle. Of course he's with us. Imagine just this this sense of confidence, the the powerful, mighty God is with us and he's for us. And he's a merciful God who has shown us great kindness and hasn't treated us as our sins deserve. You remember last week we heard about the fact that these guys just got impatient when Moses was off meeting with God and they ended up building a calf out of gold to worship and bow down to it. And God showed them mercy, patience, They they, they look at this and they think, wow, God is with us. Now, I want you to stop imagining about that tent for one moment now. And I want you to understand this, that we can know the presence of God in a way that is more glorious and more real and more for all of us than it was for these guys. How is that possible? You see, for them... They kind of had to watch as the priest went in to do his duties. They kind of had to watch on. And you and I, friends, if we know Jesus as our saviour, if we've believed in him, as Jenny so helpfully encouraged us, if we've trusted in him, if we know him to be Lord and saviour, we have access. We have access to know the presence of God. Now, as we track the theme of the presence of God uh, throughout the Bible, we see right at the beginning that God and man were dwelling in perfect relationship. It says that God walked with man in the cool of the afternoon. It was a perfect, unbroken relationship. And then because of man's rebellion, that relationship was broken. It was severed. And, and humankind were, were uh, evicted from the garden, from this perfect relationship. And angels guarded the way back into the garden. It wasn't, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't good. Suddenly there was a brokenness to this relationship. And then as we then come to this part of the, the big Bible narrative, we see that God has made a way for his presence to be known and to be experienced. But it's still not perfect. Because there's still a sense in which people watch, are watching on as priests are going about the business. They're having to provide sacrifices that the priests might go on into the presence of God for them. Only one day a year, on the Day of Atonement, could the high priest go into the Holy of Holies, this kind of like inner maximum security part of the tabernacle. 
And now I want you to recall back to the message from two weeks ago where Jesus himself entered human history. There was a moment where God himself walked the streets, where the, the, the fullness of God dwelt in a human body. Jesus described himself as a temple. You understand? So there was this time where for, for, for centuries, the tabernacle and then latterly the temple as a more uh, kind of permanent structure with a place on earth where you would know the, the, the manifest felt presence of God. But now Jesus arrives on the scene and Paul writes in Colossians 1 verses 15 and again in verse 19 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. And Jesus starts to speak of himself as being a temple. Destroy this temple, he said, and I'll raise it up in three days. As we touched upon a couple of weeks ago, one of Jesus' best friends, John, would say, the word, the eternal word, he became flesh and he dwelt amongst us. He tabernacled amongst us. He came, God dwelt on earth. So wherever Jesus went, it was special. Wherever Jesus went, people were healed and freed and understood the heart of God in ways they had never understood it before. John, again, one of Jesus' best friends, in his epistle, 1 John, you can read it for yourself. He says, this, he's speaking of this word of life, and he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and with, with our hands have touched. He's saying, this eternal one, we have touched him. We've known him so close. We've sat opposite, the ta- opposite to him at the table. We've camped together. We've made fires together. We've fished together. We touched him, the eternal one. He dwelt amongst us. So when Jesus walked the earth, that was where the very presence of God was, the exact image of the Father on the earth. Now I want you to imagine for a moment the bombshell that was dropped upon his disciples in that very first Easter week. As we come up to celebrate Easter this week, it's pretty pertinent. He takes his disciples out for dinner and he says to them, I'm not going to be with you much longer. And where I'm going, you can't come with me. Can you imagine that? Because for these disciples, Christianity wasn't going to church once a week and maybe to a midweek group. Christianity was, I live with Jesus. Wherever he goes, I go. And I love him. And this guy's transformed my life. And I've never met anyone like him. And I never will. And then Jesus, as they're at the table together, says, I'm not going to be around much longer. And where I'm going, you can't go. Can you, you know when someone just breaks some news to you and you suddenly feel sick? You don't, that's just, we can't even make that happen. It just happens, right? That would have happened. That would have happened for the disciples right there. This cannot be true, Jesus. This can't be true. Thankfully, that sick feeling didn't have to last for long. Because Jesus said, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he started to speak of a helper. He started to speak of another that would come. Another like him that would come. And to all intents and purposes, it would be as if he was coming to them. 
Yes, he's called, of course, he's talking a little bit, I guess, about his resurrection, that he would come and be amongst them. But we know that he then only spent about 40 days with his disciples after his resurrection. So he's talking here about the long term, that there is going to be one that would be sent that would be to them like having Jesus amongst them as they had known. Nothing else would satisfy them. Nothing else would be okay because they've walked with him for three years, four years maybe. They've known his presence amongst them. They've known the very presence of God. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit did come on the day of Pentecost, a few weeks after that first Easter. And their first thoughts when that happened was, he's back. He's back. Just as he promised, he is back. We're no, we're no longer on our own. Jesus himself is back. They couldn't see him or touch him now, but the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, had come to dwell in them and be amongst them. He's back. We know the presence of God with us again. The church was never to be a sad club that got together once a week to remember what it was like when Jesus walked amongst us. Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember that time when he did that? He helped us catch all those fish. Do you remember that time when he healed that person? No, no. From this moment at the day of Pentecost and going forward, the church was to be a place where the presence of God was known and experienced and where the very things that Jesus began to do and teach would continue. The, the, the Bible book of Luke, written by a guy called Luke, who was a doctor, it, he wrote also a book called Acts, which is all about what happened next after this day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came down. And at the beginning of the book of Acts, he said, in my first book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. The implication being, now I'm writing about what he's continued to do and teach by the power of the Holy Spirit working through his people. This is the church, friends. We're the people of the presence of God. Paul would say it like this in 1 Corinthians at 6 and verse 19, he says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. He's saying here that Christians, we are the place in which God now lives. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Are you understanding this? We are the place on earth if we trust Jesus, if we know him, we're the place on earth where God dwells. Not in a kind of like, he lives in my heart. We say that about people sometimes, don't we? In a sentimental way. Oh yeah, well, he'll always be with us in our hearts. Like we'll always remember him. No, no, this is God himself coming to dwell within us. As individual believers. And here's what's even more glorious. And we touched upon this a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 2. That when we gather together, as we grow together in community, we are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So together, there's something of God's presence to be known. As I believe we are knowing right now, and as we have, as we've worshipped, there's something of God's presence to be known and enjoyed because we are now the place where he dwells on the earth. And right across this town as other churches gather and right across this nation, as other churches gather and right across the world, as churches gather across the different time zones, we are the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. There's no holy place that we need to go to, no pilgrimage we need to go on to kind of go and access something. No, this is the place where God dwells by His Spirit. 
And so we're distinct because of the presence of God. This is what is to mark us out. And ultimately, friends, there will come a day where we will not be kind of uh, looking as if through a glass that's kind of um, with murky water in or from uh, in a mirror that's a bit kind of broken. No, no, we're going to see him face to face one day. So there's, there's something that is glorious to know now, but there's something even more glorious when we see him face to face. Right at the end of, of the Bible in Revelation 21, we touched upon it a couple of weeks ago. We're going to go there again. This is what John sees. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And there was no temple, we read in verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So that's the destiny that awaits us, friends. Not just kind of floating around in some clouds, playing harps. Let's just, can we just right now do away with any notion that that is what eternity is going to be like? Can we just get rid of that? It's rubbish. It's from cartoons. It's from, just, it's absolute rubbish. God is going to make this earth completely new. He's going to, through his refining fire, burn away all that is wrong and sinful and painful about it. We will live on this earth with God himself as our temple. God himself dwelling amongst us. We will know Jesus face to face. This will be glorious. And all of the things that uh, we uh, have been given in terms of gifting and skills we already use, there'll be productivity, there'll be even work, friends. <laughs> there'll be work to do. Because work isn't in, isn't in and of itself a bad thing. But we, ha- we do know a kind of a curse upon work in this life that is toilsome. And... But there'll be many, many good things to explore and enjoy but right at the blazing center of it all would be to know Jesus. That would be the very best thing about this glorious new creation. So do away with harps, okay, and sitting on clouds. There may be some harps there, okay? If you're a harp lover, I'm sure there'll be a a harp place where you can go and harp, all right? (laughs) But just do away with the sitting on clouds and not having bodies. We're going to be given new bodies. Or these bodies that we have are going to somehow be made gloriously new. We don't understand it. But it's going to be glorious. So we can track this theme, which you see on this image that we've got here, of the, the presence of God throughout the Bible. If we could just pull up that image, Stu, that would be wonderful. We can see here that there was perfect relationship with God in Eden, man and God walking together. Then there was this temporary uh, arrangement, really, of the tabernacle and latterly the temple, where God's special presence could be known and enjoyed. And then as Jesus walked this earth, where he was, the presence of God was known. And now it's amongst his people. It's amongst his church, in us and amongst us that he dwells. We're a people of the presence of God. And then one day, this earth made new, we're going to live with him for eternity. We're not going to get bored, friends. It's going to be glorious. So 
How do we respond to this in the time we have remaining? What would it mean for us to be a people marked by the presence of God? What would it look like as a people who are distinct from the world around us, marked by the presence of God? Well, firstly, I want to, I want to unpack five things. Firstly, that we'd be a people marked by hunger for communion with God. What do I mean by communion? I'm not necessarily meaning the meal that we enjoy of, of bread and wine. I'm meaning a deep and intimate relationship. Just as man enjoyed it right at the beginning, uninterrupted, unblemished, un, uh, we'd, we'd have a hunger for that walk with God day by day. When I talk about hunger, I'm talking about what the psalmist has in Psalm 84, where he says, there's better as one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. My heart and flesh cry out to be with you. I only want to be with you, Lord. That's the kind of hunger I'm talking about. And many of us, including myself, are not right there right now. We know it in part and we want to, we want to grow in that. Do we? I want to grow in that. I want to grow in a hunger for more, a deeper walk with God, an intimacy with him because the way has been made. We've heard that this morning already. The way has been made for us to walk in deep, intimate communion with God, where it's more than just, hey, Lord, please, will you give me a parking space? I'm running late. Where it's more than, I've got this interview coming up, Lord, please don't let me stuff it up. Listen, it's okay to pray for those things. I, th I think God, in his grace, kind of smiles and thinks, yeah, I'm happy for you to pray that. But I also think he knows and longs that we understand there's much more than asking for a parking space. There's much more for you to, to walk in and enjoy. There's much, much more than all that you've known in your life. Maybe you've known some glorious times with God. Some of you have got years of experience under your belt. There's more for you to know. There's more for you to enjoy. There's more of his, his ways to come to learn. There's more of his fatherly love to receive. There's more for you. There's more for you. Let us be those that are marked by a hunger for communion with God. That's what we've been saved to know. This place where we know soul satisfaction. Where we come to him and we enjoy time with him. Yes, we petition him. That's good. We ask him for things. That's good. But we just enjoy relationship with him. But we get into his word and we understand his, his word coming to us. We understand his affection over us. This is what we're saved to know. How often we run to other things for peace. How often we run to all kinds of various kinds of escapism just to try and find peace. And yet we only find it when we come to our Father, when we come to enjoy him and enjoy a relationship with him. Our enemy, the devil, trembles when we pray. He will do anything to stop us praying, anything to distract us from enjoying communion with God. So let me encourage us, friends, to cultivate that secret place, communion with God. Put aside time to be with him. It might sound odd, but we can know friendship with God. 
That's how I would describe my walk with him. I know friendship with God. That might sound really weird to you, especially if you're in church for the first time. You can know friendship with God. You can, because a way has been made. Know that place where you can pour out your heart. You can do that with good friends, can't you? No pretense, no kind of, I've got to put on a show here. No, I can pour my heart out to him. And this is what God has for us. If you don't know that yet, tell him you want it. Tell him you want it, ask him to help you. Talk with him. Trust the promise that we read of in, in James where it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Get a grasp of the truth of God's grace towards you. Go deeper into these truths. We've been unpacking even in recent weeks this amazing way in which Jesus is the fulfillment of the high priestly system. He's the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. He has made a way. We don't have to wallow in condemnation because he has done it. Unlike the priest who would get to behold the glory of God once a year, we get to behold him every day. And as we behold him by faith, as we enjoy time with him by faith, we are transformed day by day to become more and more like Jesus. So let us be marked by hunger for communion with God. Secondly, and the next points will be quicker, will be marked out by joy and celebration. Now, I don't know if that sight, as people unzip their tents in the morning and looked at the tabernacle with the cloud of glory hovering over it. I don't know if that became a bit matter-of-fact after a while. The first few days, um, they probably were like, whoa, this is incredible. Did you see it at night time? It was a great close as well. First few days, probably really quite exciting. And then after that, I wonder if it became a bit matter-of-fact for them. I was in London briefly this week, and um, I love going to London, right? And I'm a proper tourist, if I see a landmark, I take a picture of it and send it to Sarah and say, look where I am, there's Big Ben. But you're, you're kind of going through London and there's hundreds and thousands of Londoners who are just like, oh my goodness, these tourists. They're just, they're just, they're just, they see these things every day. It becomes matter of fact. It becomes bland. It just kind of blends into the background. Not really kind of this awe anymore. Not any sense of joy. Oh, wow, I live in this amazing city. I think, friends, we can be in danger of losing the wonder of it all. And we can lose the sense of joy at what God's done for us in Christ. We can lose this sense of he has rescued us and he's now, we are now the place where he dwells by the Spirit. He's set us free. He's put his Spirit within us. He's adopted us as his children. And we are now, we have complete access to him by faith in Jesus. We could lose sight of that and we, we can kind of allow our hearts to kind of grow a bit cold. Now, fast forward a few hundred years from these uh, events with Moses, and there was a time where the Ark of the Covenant, this was this special box that contained the Ten Commandments, and it was upon and above this special box where particularly God's presence would dwell in a really concentrated way in the Holy of Holies of the Tabernacle. There was a time where the Ark of the Covenant was not in Jerusalem, where it needed to be. And there came a moment, you can read about it in 2 Samuel, there came a moment where it got returned to Jerusalem. And King David is so delighted about what this represents for him and for his people. He's so delighted. We get to know God's 
manifest presence amongst us in such a special way that he starts dancing and he hasn't got many clothes on at the time. So he looks, to all intents and purposes, a bit loony, okay? And his wife, she looks upon him and she's kind of in her heart, she's like, what is this guy doing? She's thinking, what, what's going on? She starts to mock him. Now, friends, I, I, I know that we can all be in danger of seeing others' enthusiasm and joy in the gospel and think, what are they doing? I'd much rather be like David than I would be David's wife. I'd, I'd much rather not have this cynical heart of, oh, he's getting a bit too excited about this. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to say we've all got to be like Tigger, okay? <laughs> Who's just bouncing around all the time. But when we grasp the good news, when we understand what he's done for us, should we not be marked out by joy and celebration? Should we not, when, when people come into this place, think, these people are pretty excited about this. Let us, let us be just keeping a check of this in our hearts. Maybe you know, maybe this is only for five people here, I don't know. But let's just be those that don't lose the wonder of it all. Let's be those who go through London with our phone out, <laughs> thinking this is incredible. Let's be those that come to church and, and are full of joy. Because he's done it for us. And we didn't deserve it. Let's be marked out by joy and celebration. Thirdly, let's be marked out by an all-in mentality. What a sight it would have been for the Israelites journeying in the wilderness. What a sight it would have been as they kind of watched the priest performing his duties. Amazing. But listen, we don't gather together to watch a priest perform his duties. We don't gather together to watch one or two or three or four people kind of do some stuff. Okay? I believe passionately in the teaching of God's word. I believe this is really important. I really believe that worship leaders and others that help lead us in our worship are really, really helpful. I, re I really believe that. But, friends, we don't come just to kind of watch some other people do some stuff. As we're, if we're people of the presence of God, then we should be marked out by an all-in mentality. That it's not about some specialists doing some stuff. that We think, well, I can't do that. No, but actually we all have a heart to minister to one another. Is this thinking in? That we, we all actually have a heart because the Holy Spirit lives within us. If we, if we belong to Jesus. And therefore, I've got things to bring to people that only I can really bring. Because God's speaking to me. He's encouraging me. He's working through me. Let's be those that are characterized by an all-in mentality. God does give different gifts and different measures of gifts to different people. But to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. That means to each person, gifts are given. He's gifted you if you are in Christ. He's gifted you with some things to bring. So it's time to return back to the truth here and to repent from some wrong thinking. Where we've maybe thought, well, I can't do it like so-and-so, and therefore I can't do it at all. I, I wouldn't be able to encourage that person as well as so-and-so would, so I'm just going to hold back. And we ought to pray for them or prophesy over them as well as she could or he could. So I'm just going to hold back. There needs to be a laying down of self-pity because I'm not an I, then I don't belong in this body. You know, that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. We have an all-in mentality. We are, we are all with a part to play. 
So what has God given you to bring? What has he given you to contribute this morning and in the days and weeks and months to come? How, how are you going to serve and minister to others? Because the presence of God is within you and he's amongst us. Fourthly, we'd be marked out by expectancy. I was really thrilled that this was a theme that came through in our prayer time this morning from a lady who uh, knew not what I was speaking on this morning. A life with Jesus physically present would have been a life full of expectancy. Can you just imagine waking up as Peter, one of the disciples, thinking, what on earth is he going to do today? What? You wouldn't lie in bed thinking, just hitting snooze repeatedly, would you? You'd think, what is going to happen today? Last week, he stopped a funeral in its tracks. A few weeks ago, he fed thousands of people with just a little bit of food. And then in the same day, as if that wasn't impressive enough, he walked on water. And then I walked on water as well, and I still can't get my head around it. This, this expectancy would have been in their hearts. What is he going to do today? He challenged the Pharisees. He went in amongst lepers, who everyone said, don't go amongst, and he just healed them all. There was that guy with the demons inside of him. Everyone was scared of him, and he just freed him. There was an expectancy in their hearts, waking up each day. What is he going to do today? And friends, if it is true that Jesus has not left us as orphans, if it is true that the Holy Spirit in us and amongst us, working through us, means that we can know the power and presence of God now, our lives should be marked by expectancy. Expectation that God is going to move. There shouldn't be any boredom. If we're bored, then we're out of step with that truth. If we're kind of just going through the motions, then we're out of step with that truth. When we gather together like this, when we gather together in our life groups, when we gather together in friendships, as we gather together in weeks of prayer, and by the way, we're going to pray on Tuesday morning. Just you, I know you're all sad that the week of prayer is over. If you want to come here at 9 a.m. on Tuesday morning, we're going to pray together. We're going to pray for an hour and a bit. Not so many of you won't be able to make that. That's absolutely fine. But we're going to pray. We should be those with expectancy in our hearts that God is going to move amongst us. Just as the manifest glory of God fell upon the tent then, so the Holy Spirit comes to empower us now. And so we should be those with expectancy in our hearts that God is going to speak to people, that prophetic words are going to be uttered, people's destinies will be directed, that healings, is going to take, healings are going to take place. Wow, to that story, I don't know if we quite understood. This young lad that we prayed for last week was in serious trouble and on the way to probably dying. And we prayed together and God has turned it around. This, this friends, I, you know, this logically, if this is all true, we should be seeing this a lot. There'll come different seasons, I'm sure, and different times, but logically, this is something we should expect. So we're people of the presence of God. Lord, help us in our unbelief. <laughs> I pray that prayer often. Lord, I believe. Would you help me in my unbelief? Maybe we might want to pray that. Maybe we might want to each individually pray that today. Help me in my unbelief. I believe. I trust you can. I trust you will. But I still kind of don't believe. Give us expectation, Lord. Finally, finally, that we would be a people marked out by involvement in global mission. So we've seen already that the presence of God is now amongst his people, right across this world, those that have placed their faith in Jesus. This is where he dwells. It's God's desire 
that the knowledge of his glory would cover the earth as surely as the waters cover the sea. That's everywhere. This is his heart's desire, that people in every nation and in every tribe and in every people group would know him and know his felt manifest presence. And we don't know how to define people groups and tribes. We don't. God might have a different view of that to us. I suspect he might do. But that means that we're a people who go in the power of the Holy Spirit. And friends, we're expectant that God's going to cause us to go this year and in the years to come. That we're a people who, yes, God's got things for us in the southwest of Ipswich. And we're going to go. Some here will go and be a part of that. Maybe he's even impressing that on people's hearts now. There'll be other parts and areas of this town and this area of Suffolk, I'm sure that God will cause us to go to in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I believe, friends, that there are nations. He's, he's spoken over us continents and counties. He's spoken over us a sending capacity on our church, that there will be some here who will go, who will go to another nation, who will say, I, I believe God's called me, and we're going to go and tell people about Jesus, and we're going to gather people together who've responded to him, and we're going to learn what it is to be the church. So as the people of the presence of God, let us be marked out by a, by a going not all of us are going to go from this place. We we're expecting God to do big things in this church. We're going to multiply to two gatherings this year. We're going to give you more information about that soon. There's the expectancy that God's going to do something here in Ipswich. But for every one of us who stay, our hearts must be in the nations. Okay, even if we don't go ourselves, our hearts must be there. Because this is God's agenda. This is God's heart that there will be a people here who, who, who even if they don't go themselves, their prayers will go and their money will go and their relationship and support and encouragement will go. Do you get that? This is for all of us. I'm looking around at lots of people who maybe are quite new to the church in the last six months or a year. You need to understand this is right at the heart of who we are. We're a people who are not just here for Ipswich, although we love this town. And we want to really see God do amazing things here. And we are seeing him do amazing things here. But we've also got the nations in our hearts and other towns and cities of this nation in our hearts. So let us be those that are involved in a global mission because we're the people of the presence of God. And he's about a great work in the world. Amen? Let's stand together. I'd love to pray for us. And then we're going to do something a little bit different. We're not going to sing in response today. We've got about 10 minutes before we will bring things to a close and we'll just encourage people to go and collect their children. But with all of this in mind, if you are a Christian here, you get to be a minister. You get to encourage others and share encouragement from God's heart and God's word to others. So we're going to go for it in praying for one another. Okay. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and this is all quite new for you, I give you permission to sit on your phone. 
and play Angry Birds or something, okay? I give you permission just to watch and observe what's going on. It's good to have you here. We love that you're here. We really do. Keep coming. Come on Easter Sunday. We want you to be there. You can go and sit down in the coffee area. We'd love for you to just not run away at this point. But anyone here who knows Jesus, there is a moment here where we're going to go and pray for one another, encourage one another. And it may be that we don't even really know what to pray. But let's pray for the five things that I've shared today. People marked by a hunger for communion with God. A people marked by joy and celebration. A people marked by expectancy, a growing expectancy in our hearts. A people marked out by an involvement in global mission. Let's pray these things over each other. I've forgotten one of them, but you hopefully have remembered one or two. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to just do that. You clear? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are your people. We thank you that we know you amongst us, even right now. And Lord God, you have, you've got things for us to do. You've got us involved in this great mission that you're about in the world. And uh, we trust that you're not just sitting us on the bench. I pray you just change mentalities in hearts right now. Change thinking. And let it be that we would know that it's more blessed to give and to receive. It is. Lord Jesus, you said it. And uh, so I pray that even as we encourage others around us, as we pray for others now, that you would do some wondrous things. I pray that prophetic words would flow. I pray that healing would come. I pray, Lord God, that you would do wonderful things. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just say one more thing. I've just said to those around us and amongst us who maybe don't know Jesus, like, kind of don't have to get involved with this. That's, I stand by that, but there might be a moment here where you actually would, would better respond to what, uh, what has come forward already today. There might be a moment where you say, Jesus, I trust in you. I'm like that thief on the cross. I don't really have much to offer. I don't really know all the answers. I don't understand it all. The thief on the cross didn't understand it all, but he understood the most important thing, which was that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the Lord, and that his death on the cross was not some accident. So there's a moment here where you can give your life to him. You can surrender to him and know his Holy Spirit come and fill you. So you can, by all means, chat with your friend or, or, or just observe, but there is a moment here. Don't, don't, uh, don't forget what was shared earlier.